0: Welcome to the seasoned athlete podcast, your home for stories, inspiration, and advice from athletes over 40. I'm your host, Robin Leggett. I'm a later in life athlete who became a roller derby skater in my thirties and a runner and obstacle racer in my forties. Now I'm an athletic aging coach who helps women over 40 experience the massive life benefits that come with exploring your athletic potential at any age and any fitness background. If that fires you up, keep listening. Let's do this. Today, I'm excited to welcome Vanessa Bogenholm to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. Vanessa is a Bay Area-based personal trainer and an avid runner who is a regular age group podium fixture. Vanessa is also the author of the best-selling book called It's Your Body, Move It, Love It, Live, where she shares her step-by-step method to understanding how your body works so you can get the astounding results that many of her training clients have achieved over the years. Vanessa wasn't born a natural athlete, but thanks to an influential coach in her early teens, she found joy and freedom through running, and that has led her to a life of helping others make their own physical, mental, and emotional commitment to pursuing what excites them and becoming their best selves. So let's get going. Here is my conversation with Vanessa Bogenholm. Hi, Vanessa. Are you ready to drop some seasoned
1: athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Definitely, Robin. So happy to be here with you.
0: I'm happy to have you, Vanessa Bogenholm. You are uh, a professional tennis player, ultra marathon runner, personal trainer, and you're the author of the best selling book, It's Your Body, where you share inspirational stories of athletes you've trained by examining the connection between their physical and mental fitness, which I think is just so important and often overlooked by people who are kind of stepping into that side of themselves so I'm really excited to really dig into that as we go but before we start I'm going to ask you the question I ask all my guests and that is what is your age at this moment in time
1: 55 I think yes. as an athlete I'm I, I'm happy to say I'm 55 and right all of us that you know compete in age group stuff Oh, cool. I, I have no problem with
0: everybody knows how old I am. I'm good. Right. You know, it's something I've talked about with other guests on the show about how you, when, when you do compete as an age group athlete, it's kind of the one phase in life or the one situation, especially as women, where we get excited about like crossing over into a new age group, like crossing over into your fifties, yep. crossing yep. over into your sixties. Cause you just, you just got into the bottom of the next yes. age group, which is often exactly. an advantage. Exactly. So yeah. So you're, you're, a, what would you be in like the 55 to 59
1: age? That group? That is exactly it. You know what the funnest part about that is, is when you beat like 27 year olds. Oh yeah. Because you know, when that's in the listing of a race, that's like ultra cool.
0: Right. Right. It's such, <laughs> yes. it's, it's a rush for sure. Yes. I, I haven't done that as much as I think you have, but <laughs> it's still, it's so cool. I like to look at my times and then compare them to like, teenagers times and the 20 somethings. Cause another thing that often happens is, like as we age, we get better at those longer distances. And so mm-hmm. we see the younger age groups and it's like, they're, they're not as fast at these longer right. distance races. So I'm like, well, if I was in that age group, I would have won, <laughs> <laughs> but my age group is so competitive at that distance, yeah. which is, yeah, you know, but that's also really cool too. Right. Um, so yeah, you're at the bottom of that 55 to 59 age group. So you're definitely at that advantage right there. Well, Vanessa, let's go back in time. It's like clear. You're an athlete right now. And you're, crushing it. Um, mm-hmm. But when did that all get started? Did you grow up um, active and into, into fitness and athletics? Uh,
1: how did things get started for you? I wish I could say I did, but no, I did not. I was a very overweight teenager. I was 13 years old and pushing 200 pounds from an unathletic family with no knowledge of how to do anything. And I just had a very, very, very nice coach. My mother always wanted me to play basketball. I grew up in a small town, which is a basketball town. I went to these summer camp for basketball before high school started. And the coach said, Vanessa, you probably want to get fit because I couldn't get my feet off the floor. You know, shot Granny Goose style was the slowest in the sprints. But he was super nice about it. It wasn't like, you know, there's no way you're going to make the team or anything. And so, you know, this was 1980. So this was a long, long time ago. And Frank Shorter was my hero. And so I went to the library and got every book I could on running. And I decided I was going to run to get fit. And, um, you know, Frank Shorter ran 140 miles a week. So why couldn't a fat 13 year old was really my brain capacity? But the next morning, when I put on those tan and brown Nikes that Nike just brought back, which is really disgusting, we didn't need those <laughs> shoes back again. Um, that, Someone out there um,
0: that feels like an emotional connection to those shoes, but it sounds like know, it's not like, you. <laughs> it's
1: not me. I went, no, those cause blisters. We don't need those shoes ever again. But, um, yeah. So I went on my first run and it was 23 steps, literally. And that was the day that I realized that I was very fat and very out of shape and that I wasn't going to be a quitter anymore. And I'd been a quitter my whole life at that point. And I decided I wasn't going to quit. And so as I you know, cried and all that stuff that we do as teenagers and walked home, I thought, what if I ran 26 steps, just one more and one more step turned into 11 miles a day um, by the end of the summer. And And I'm sorry, how old
0: were you back then? How old were you? 13, I was
1: 13. Wow. So from eighth grade to high school, I dropped 60 pounds, um, grew about four inches taller, looked like a whole new person by the time high school started. And now I had no more ambition to be a basketball player because now I wanted to be a marathoner. I mean, (laughs) so it's really interesting when you look at, I mean, you know, we're not 12 anymore. So when we were kids, there was like two things you did. You either sprinted, Or you were a four and a half minute miler or you were a marathoner. Those were like those those were none of the things that I did. But yeah. (laughs) But those were like (laughs) things that we knew, that we knew in the public domain Mm -hmm. that people did. And you know, to be a sprinter was never gonna be me. Milers that seemed out of my realm. But I just felt as a runner, I could like work at long distance running and be good at it. That if it was hard work, that was something I could do. And I think that's kind of the same thing I take in today of what I do. And I have gone on the track and done that stuff too now. But I just think that it did something interesting to my brain, which made me no longer a loser and doubting myself all day, every day, and feeling that I was stuck in this boat. When I began to run as a teenager, and even now as an adult, I don't feel I'm stuck, that I own what I'm doing and I can do it, which I think is what we see at the, you know, it's great to see the people win a race. It's wonderful to see those people that are crushing it, right? But when you watch the joy, of people finishing their first 10k, their first half marathon, right? And they're like struggling and in pain, but they're still smiling and laughing over that finish line because they pushed their body past what they felt possible. That's the joy that athletics bring us at our age. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah.
0: You know, it, I just like kind of soaking in your story and, and mm-hmm. thinking of myself as a 13 year old at that time too. And it's like, that's a really, that can be a really tough age. Yeah. Um, and To have the wherewithal at that age, and maybe it is credit to that coach really opening that door, opening your eyes to that possibility, because I didn't have anyone like that in my life. And so I never even thought to do something like that, but to, to be able to guide yourself into just pushing a little bit farther, a little bit farther and seeing how that, that opened things up for you. And and this is this is really kind of a thing that's valid no matter what your age is but really kind of finding your thing where where basketball was where you were guided but basketball mm-hmm. wasn't really your thing and so that probably there was probably a lot of pushback from you on that because it just wasn't connecting. But then when you moved into running and you found it's like, Oh, I feel free here. I am. I'm in control of my destiny. And like you said about people who run their first 10 K their first half marathon, it really is for anybody that anybody can take on this goal and you don't have to be the first place finisher, but you can finish. And the reward of finishing like that is like nothing else. Right.
1: And, you know, I think it's very, when I start with a client, I always try to say, okay, we got to figure out who you are to figure out what sports you want to do. Don't run because I run. Who cares what I do? But if you're someone who likes to be in a team environment, you like to be with other people, you might want to be a tennis player, you might want to play soccer, you might want to play basketball. If you're a loner, you like individual things, you might want to swim. So for me, running in my morning runs is very meditative. It allows me to clear out all those cobwebs in my brain. It allows me to sing and dance while I'm down the road at 430 in the morning and no one's watching, but it allows me to connect everything before I start my day, which is incredibly important to me. But we have to figure out who and what you are mentally before we can figure out who and what you are as an athlete, right? Everybody. Can be an athlete. And I think this is the most amazing thing is that when people tell me I have no athletic ability, and I go, I'm the most unathletic person you've ever met. We can teach anybody eye hand coordination. I actually taught a woman how to throw a baseball really well in two hours last week. It was amazing. She was 65. She came to me, it's been to me for a couple of years, and she said, you know, I tried to throw a baseball over the fence and I couldn't do it. And I go, over your back fence? How come you couldn't do it? She goes, I don't know how to throw a ball. And because boys usually had fathers or grandfathers that taught them athletic stance, how you turn your shoulders when you throw, girls don't know that girls just throw straight ahead and go, well, my wrist goes down and it went to the ground, you know? And when she got it, I mean, it was like, it was Christmas for her because now she realized she wasn't just this loser that couldn't throw a ball up the fence. She could throw a ball just like anybody else can throw one. If someone teaches you. Right.
0: Right. And, and even like, when you, when you discover these skills that you didn't even think you could do, because nobody, yes. nobody told you, you could do it. Nobody showed you as a kid. Like I am that mm-hmm. person, by the way, like, I believe that the hand-eye coordination stuff is my last frontier mm-hmm. because, you know, it's true. My brother was playing baseball. He was playing soccer. He yes. was playing all those little league sports and I wasn't doing any of that. And so I run, I race, I played roller derby, which did not involve a ball, but anything involving a ball or throwing or catching, yeah. it's like. I'm still lost there. And, but sometimes it just takes somebody who could just show you just this one little turn of your body, this one little turn of your wrist. And that's all it takes. It's a little tweak that you're not thinking of that can open up this ability for you. And when you have that ability opened up, it lights you up, it changes you.
1: And it doesn't matter how old you are. And I think that, you know, I always tell parents, teach your kids how to throw at a very young age because whether you're playing tennis, whether you're playing football, whether you're throwing a javelin, these are all basically the same motion. So you teach a 2 and 3-year-old child how to throw properly, and guess what? They can do any sport they want to do. Mm-hmm. And you've now opened a world to them. And the bonding of throwing things with your
0: kids, like throwing a ball back and forth, it's it's, you know, a nice thing to have. But yeah, I I play I do Spartan races which require me to throw a spear. Yes. And that is my worst skill in that race. I have a terrible, terrible spear track record because
1: no one taught me to throw. You know, and so when I was, I guess I was 50, um, I decided I wanted to learn how to throw the javelin. You know, I'd been to track and field events and thought, you know what, 50, you know, you go on Amazon and you buy three javelins, you look up all the rules. I'm, I'm now that person that looks up every rule and regulation and how everything's done first before, right? And then I went to UC Berkeley and just walked on the field while they were doing a track and field practice and saw who the head coach was and said, who's the best kid at the javelin throw? And he goes, he is. And I go, great. Can I hire him? And he goes, to what? And I go, teach me how to throw the javelin. And this coach looked at me like I was insane. And he goes, are you serious? And I go, what am I going to pay him? 50 bucks an hour? And he goes, that's probably going to work. And, you know, here was an NCAA division one javelin thrower guy. And I said, so when are you free? You know, a couple of hours, a couple of times a week for about a month. And he was like, seriously? And I go pay a hundred bucks cash. And he was like, fantastic. That's probably like more money than he expected too. I know. And he was like, whoa. And I'm I'm rich, you know, and, and he goes like, you're not learning off YouTube. And I go, no, because I know enough to know that I can just learn mistakes off of YouTube. I can watch people left and right and listen to all the greatest, whatever. I want you to watch me and fix me and show me from the day one what I'm doing wrong and fix me. And so, you know, that's what I learned to do when I was 50, I learned to throw the javelin. I mean, so I, I always want to be learning new things, right? That's yeah. that's what life's about.
0: And that's, you know, that, and that probably sparked back, you know, all the way back when you're 13 and it's like, it sparked this lifetime love of learning new things and the value of a coach because you right. had that coach opened up to you. So you're like, sure, I'll go. I want to learn this thing. I'm 50. I'm going to go uh-huh. find someone to teach me. Right. And what a fun attitude that is also to just be open to anything and then go, go find someone. To teach you because a lot of people will be scared to do that
1: well you know it's interesting you say that so so i work with my clients mostly one-on-one sometimes there's two at a time but it's usually one-on-one in my studio so there's nothing to be embarrassed about you don't have to be embarrassed you don't know how to know in a machine i don't know how to i think the most common thing as you know is people have they think running hurts mm-hmm. but running the way you run hurts but we don't have to run that way i think you know running is form and you know i run usually five days a week Two of those days, seriously, I work on my form because the reason I'm not getting injured is because I make sure my form's good. Now, when I race, all, all that form stuff is out the window, but I hope that there's some muscle memory, but I really work at it on a regular basis and strengthen everything so that I'm not injured because I enjoy racing. That's my social time. People go to bars. I go to races mm-hmm. and see my friends and hang out with them and we laugh and we joke and we're so happy to be back. I mean, I think, you know, those of us who are regular, you know, twice a month runners or racers to not see your friends that you saw, it was painful. And and you watched depression setting in on those of us. And it wasn't because we were trying to compete and win every weekend, but this was our social time, talking about food and sleep and the latest in shoes and, you know, how's your grandma and all that stuff, right? This was our social thing of socially bettering our lives. And, you know, that's what the hardest thing about not racing was. I totally 100% agree with you.
0: And And that's the other thing about, you know, taking on a sport is you actually can take on that community as well. And I've heard the story from so many people that I've interviewed for the podcast. And it's my own story too, that, you know, my primary thing is is Spartan I do road and trail races Mm -hmm. also, but Mm -hmm. when I go to those, those Spartan races, I see, friends that I see at every race because I tend to race, you know, in my area. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to see a lot of the same people that I hadn't seen, you know, in over a year. It's so great to see them again. And, you know, a a running community, a racing community, a sporting community, you have those things in common where you understand like, hey, I need more sleep to do this thing. I'm not going to stay up late anymore. We're the we're the in bed by 9 p.m. crowd or earlier. We're the up at 4 or 5 a.m. crowd. And it's like the rest of our our friends don't get it. (laughs) And you know, all of that stuff that betters your life, this is the group of people that will support you in it. And so it's just great to be around those people, whether it's online and especially in person. So I agree race time is social time. It's fun. Yes. You can be competitive, but it's also Mm -hmm. just an opportunity to connect with those people that make that help make your life better. Definitely. Yeah. So let's, um, let's get into your book. Let's talk okay, about great. that a bit. Um, so it's called It's Your Body. Um, tell me a bit about what inspired you to write the book
1: and um, what it's about and who it's for. Sure. So I had been a personal trainer at that point when I started to write the book about 10 years and been doing very well. I'm, to be honest, I'm one-on-one. I'm very expensive for people. And what happened was I'm in the grocery store and this woman is following me, literally following me. And I see a friend of mine and he asked me how my marathon was. It was right after San Francisco Marathon. We were talking about the marathon. We were, he was a marathon maniac like I am, which means we are just insane people that run way too many marathons in a year. And this woman was listening to my conversation and I kept thinking, maybe I know or I don't. And then finally I said to her, you know, I'm sorry, can I help you with something? Do I know you? And she said, No, you just look really inspirational. And I got that whole like, Oh, I'm a personal trainer with my own private studio kind of thing. And she said those magic words, I bet you're expensive. And she's right. And you know, I, I I had thought about this for a while that I was becoming a personal trainer for wealthy people. And it bugged me, right? Because I couldn't have afforded someone like me when I was 13 years old. When I was 13, I didn't see any stories in the library when I was getting books about people who changed their lives through running or through sport. I only saw Frank Shorter, who's a dear friend of mine, but I only saw professional athletes. You know, and when you look on line now, we see the Jillian Michaels of the world. We don't see people transforming their lives or how the average person or how 300-pound people literally can run a marathon. I had a woman who ran her first marathon this year. She was 280 pounds when she started with me. She's 155 now. I mean, I have people that have lost hundreds of pounds and lost their run their first 5K. You talk about joy and moving your body. These people, it's amazing stuff. But that kind of book, I'd never seen written really about the reality of obesity, the reality of people being in wheelchairs, all of that stuff. And so, when I left the grocery store, I decided I was going to write a book about it because I was all, I've always been a reader. I'd, I'd written a book before. I'd written a fiction book before. And so I wanted to write the story, not just of myself and my changes, but I want to talk about my clients and, and the types of clients I see and how they change their lives for the better. Sometimes I talk about the reality and I talk about a lot of death and suicide in my book and about clients that did not, are not here today because they chose lifestyles that didn't work. And I think we in the time of COVID have to be really honest. We know, I'm not going to get in the vaccine discussion, any of that discussion. We know obesity kills people with COVID. Number one reason people die when they're in the hospital when they have COVID is because they're obese. We have to realize that we are eating ourselves to death. And the reason we do this is to fill a mental hole. So if I can figure out a client's way to get to motivate them for me i got to motivate you if you have grandkids you want to see grow up if you want to stop breaking furniture if you want to stop having people see mean things to you if you want to be like that guy you see at 4:30 in the morning run by your office window all the time that you wonder why he's so insane running in the cold in the dark with nine layers of clothes on i got to figure out what's going to motivate you so that you're going to want to change your body and so that's what the book's about My first half is really about my philosophy on eating and exercise, which is all about finding what makes you happy. I do not put every client on the same diet. I put everybody on what fits their life. Food is social. So if you want to eat with your husband or your wife, you know, every night at six, we do not take that out of your diet. We do not because that's what makes you happy. We adjust the food to fit your lifestyle so that you can lose weight and feel healthy and to get in contact with your body. So many people have no clue what their body is supposed to feel like. They think it's really normal to eat a bunch of food and feel sick afterwards. That is not normal. I don't eat and feel sick afterwards. If I do, it's because I ate the wrong thing. So we have to figure that out. And of course, you know, water and sleep are like two of the most important things at our age. I think if you would have told us in our 20s, the most important thing to you is going to be sleep. You're going to go, what? But that's, or water. It, I mean, oh, it's just like ah. It was booze I mean, and no sleep. Like that's I know, that's but it was, was
0: fun then. It was we fun, but it. It, and and like we could handle it then. Yeah, you know? <laughs> we could I better handle. do not it now. handle that now at all. No, in fact, and it's and it's a common conversation I have with my friends about like, especially you know, I'm 46 years old. I'm living an athletic lifestyle. I have no tolerance for booze anymore. Like none. <laughs> like if I drink a little bit my sleep is crap. My workout the next day is crap. Like I have no tolerance. And then, so my desire goes away. And so, you know, but in my, tw- it's like, I could, you know, if I was into fitness in my twenties, I could have stayed up all night, drank all night, got up with a hangover and worked out or run a race the next day. Like,
1: but, you know, we're just different people now. <laughs> yes, we are. We're older. We've worn these bodies out just a little bit to take better care of them now. Yeah
0: and i think our bodies like they send us signals faster that we can't ignore. i think we they they sent us signals when we were younger we just chose to ignore them. but i think it's a lot harder to ignore those signals now and and i think you know something i kind of pulled out of what, what you just said a couple of things i pulled out of what you just said is like really teaching people to be more in tune with the signals i think with the signals that come from food whereas like this feels good. you know when you I know that there was a, I used to eat, I, I ate a lot of sodium heavy food. Like that was my thing. I'm, I'm a savory more than a sweet person. And so I would, I would be playing roller derby and then just eating like salty, salty foods. Um, and then when I made like, when I started eliminating salt and eating more like homemade meals as opposed to processed, it's like, oh, I don't get these stomach aches all the time anymore. I thought I was just like, I thought that was just my body that I would just eat and get a stomach ache. And that was me my whole life. And it's like, oh, it doesn't have to be that way. Oh, that's interesting. And so starting to actually understand what feels good, understand what supports your body to help you do the things that you want to do. If you want to say run a half marathon or a marathon or even a 5k that like what I eat the night before can play a role into whether or not I enjoy that run the next day. Um, And sometimes you got to learn that stuff the hard way, but um, and through trial and error, because like you said, it's individual. We are all individuals. There's no one size fits all situation. Learning about hydration and actually being mindful about hydration, being mindful about sleep. These are some basic, basic things, moving your body, strengthening your body, eating food that supports your, what you want to do, drinking water, resting, recovering, and sleeping.
1: Like I call it the big five. And, you know, there's one other thing that you don't touch on, and that is we have complicated lives and the stress of our lives is, is, is remarkable. You know, if you have a family, if you don't, you, everyone has financial situations, whatever, you got a flat tire in your car. How you handle stress and what you do with that stress is really so much more different now in our 50s than it was in our 20s. And so teaching people to walk away from stress is really one of the things that I work on all the time. You have to decide that that is not going to get you anywhere. I don't know how you were in your 20s, but in my 20s, I thought it was great to be riled up and excited and scream and yell at people and do things. You know, and now I know if I scream at somebody, I feel worse. So I don't do it. I don't get in arguments. Excuse me. I don't do those things because I don't want to feel bad. Because if I scream and yell, I physically feel bad. So I avoid it and I try to teach my clients to avoid that kind of stress. We're all going to have disagreements, but how we handle disagreements will affect our physical life.
0: Yeah. And I I look at it kind of conversely too, where if you, when you get into athletic pursuits, when you are doing things physically that are challenging, that are beyond your comfort zone Mm -hmm. and a bit outside of where you're at, it teaches you. How to do harder things in your life, how to manage right. these things as they come up in your life. Um, you know, I'm an obstacle racer, and it's like the, the correlation between the obstacles on the course and like obstacles in my life. I'm noticing more and more that I have a better ability to manage these things. I have a story, you know, just a week ago, I ran um, what is called the Spartan trifecta. It's three races in a weekend up in the mountains, um, really, really hard races. And as I was driving to those races, my car broke down on the way to the mountain and like in a major, major way. So I was stranded. Um, I had to get towed to my friend's house. I had to ignore it for a few days, borrow their car, go run the races. And then after the races were over, figure out what to do with my car. And, you know, I was talking to my sister about that. And she's like, I really commend you because I, I feel like that would have wrecked my weekend. Like that would have just, I wouldn't have been able to do any of what you did. And you just like put it aside, did what you needed to do handled it after you're done. I'm like, it's because I do this stuff. Like, you know, the more, the more you do these things that, that test your determination and test your tenacity that reflects in your everyday life that reflects and helps you build that ability to take on these challenges because we all have these challenges that come up in
1: our lives and it it creates a greater ability to handle that stuff. I so agree. I just so agree. And I think it's amazing. I think you know, and, and you can see the happiness in you and the resilience in you, I think, and, and all of us that are athletes, you see, you see that. And, and just, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's amazing when, you know, someone says, oh, why would I really want to run a 5K? And I go, I'm not going to make you. I mean, I don't care if you want to. And, you know, before COVID on um, Thanksgiving two years ago, I carry usually between 27 and 30 clients. I had 24 of them that ran our local 5K, 10K for Thanksgiving. It was the craziest thing ever, right? Because, you know, I'd finish the race and I'd I'd counting people to make sure that, you know, everybody got in and everyone did everything and how happy everybody was and how happy their families were to see them, which was the best part ever, right? Because all their families would come and thank me and look what you've done to my, you know, father, my, you know, whatever it was, my son. It was amazing, right? And what a family experience it is when one family member competes and does things physically it's just a great overall experience
0: yeah yeah and it's such a great way to model behavior to your family as well which i know for so many people is important to to show their kids show their grandkids what they could do um and doing something like this can absolutely do that because they're seeing you know they're seeing grandma out there running that 5k like how cool is that what an amazing experience Let's talk about some of these, some of these things you touch upon in your book. These, you know, what I call the big five or the big six, which includes stress, but let's get into, let's get into hydration. Cause you know, I know I don't, I don't do enough. I don't drink enough water.
1: You know, let's talk about it. I make it, it, I make it very simple. And it's the same thing for everyone that comes in here. You do 30 ounces first thing in the morning. When you first get up before your coffee or tea, it's 30 ounces. It's not 25. It's not 35. It's 30 ounces. First thing in the morning before your coffee, Period. You do 30 ounces again in the afternoon, sometime between two and three, hopefully, depending on your work schedule and where your bathroom is located. So that's really important. I don't, I'm not so stuck on those ones, but it's 60 ounces a day, regardless of any other water you drink or anything else you drink, period. No question. Now, when I first started working as a personal trainer, I people say, oh, I hate water. I'm not drinking water. And I'd let it go. Now, if you say that, you're not my client, period, because I cannot help you. Because I think people, the most thing that are shocked about is the morning headache goes away when you're hydrated. Whenever someone tells me that they wake up constantly with a morning headache, I always say, Well, of course you do. You don't drink any water. Oh, but I drink soda all day and I drink coffee all day. Well, congratulations. You have a bunch of caffeine in your body, right? And you wonder why you have headaches. But no, the 30 ounces of water in the morning and 30, I, it's very simple. That is what everyone does. And it becomes just like getting out of bed in the morning and going to the bathroom. Whatever everyone does, they get used to it. It takes a solid three weeks to stop gagging it down. And it takes three months for it to become a habit. So, you know, usually at three weeks, they go, okay, I don't hate it anymore. Wow, look, my skin looks better. I feel better. This is amazing. I had a woman this morning, craziest thing. She's 64. Vanessa, I don't have to take laxatives every day anymore. And I thought, oh my God, you were taking laxatives every day, right? for how many years, I don't know, 10, like, like, like sticking, that, that was just what a normal older person did. I mean, talk about what commercials show us. And I was thinking that, you know, obviously you're not seeing a teenager taking a laxative on a commercial and you're seeing older people do it. So this is, makes it seem normal, right? Finds it over the counter, taking laxative all the time. Oh my God, water worked. Hallelujah. Right. So that's, that's hydration for me, 30 ounces in the morning, 30 ounces in the afternoon.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, it's like I bet people w- initially woke up, and it's like that's my caffeine headache. I need caffeine. I need my coffee, know, right? No, it's yeah. a dehydration headache. Interesting, yeah. interesting. And then let's talk about sleep. I know oh, it's a challenge. Wow. I know it's a challenge for a lot of people.
1: You know, it's such a funny thing about what a challenge it is. So we all have, especially us athletes, we all have these amazing watches that'll tell us how bad we sleep. We knew how bad we slept, and now we get to see it in real time form. But do you understand it? And do you understand what it is for you? So for me, seven hours is perfect if I can get it. I structure my days um, so I can take a nap in the middle of the day. I've always been a great napper. So this is my thing. I live five minutes away from my studio. So I do an hour and a half break in the middle of the day. I go home, I eat, I take a nap for about 45 minutes and come back to work and feel like a million bucks. Um, I get to bed always by 10 o'clock, period. That's it. I mean, it doesn't matter. Just, just, if I'm going to do anything the next day, I have to. Otherwise, I will not fall asleep. I really prefer to get into bed by 8.30 or 9, though. So I really try to do that. My body clock, I'm a 4.30 a.m. riser. That's me at 4.30 a.m. zing, and I'm going 100 miles an hour. Now, as I've gotten older, what happens is you wake up in the middle of the night and cannot get back to sleep. What has happened to us is we now have our cell phones and our iPads to entertain us and then you're up for an hour or two instead the hardest things to say i don't need that in the bedroom with me if i get up and go to the bathroom i'm going to lay here and just somehow meditate or be quiet to go back to sleep because if you're now stimulating your if your brain was already going 190 miles an hour and you put on i don't know the mandalorian it's even more wound up right So you're not gonna go back to sleep and now you're up for two hours. So now you've taken that seven or eight hour window and made it a six or a five hour window and you're exhausted. And so for me, the most important thing is not to have those things in the bedroom with me. I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and go back to sleep and work at that. And if for some reason I go three nights without sleep, now I've got to reschedule my life because now I'm in trouble because the fourth night will throw me out of whack for a week. So that means that I've got to stop work early. Maybe usually I work till 7.30 at night. Maybe I just work until six one night so that I'm home and quiet by seven so I can really get to bed and really try to figure out what's wrong. Because I know it'll just be cumulative effects and you cannot, we have, a—I mean, we are just a drug dependent society. If you went to your doctor and said, oh, I didn't sleep for three nights, all of a sudden they've given you Ambien and I've heard a hundred different kinds of, I mean, it's really common for clients to walk in here that were on sleeping pills on a daily basis. You have to realize your body was not made for chemicals. It wasn't. It was made for real food. We, were, we didn't evolve to have something processed in a pill put in us. So figure out what's happening in your life. What you need to do. Number one thing you need to do is to not eat heavy food at night. You can't eat a steak. If you eat, eat I, I eat steak all the time. I eat it at lunchtime. I do not eat it at dinnertime because then your body has to digest it. And that takes a lot of energy to digest it. Everyone has eaten too much at night and gone to bed with like their stomach all hot, feeling like, oh my God, I feel like a cow, right? We've done it. All of us have done it. How could you possibly get a good night's sleep doing that? So don't set yourself up for failure where sleep is concerned. Yeah.
0: So I I think there's, you know, for my listeners, I, I feel like it's important to like pull out pieces of this because obviously your schedule is unique. Um, most people are not up at 4.30. Most people can't take a nap in the middle of the day. Although we're all working from home, so maybe we can. Uh, a lot of us are working from home, so naps might be a possibility and they're fun. I love them too. Um, but, but taking out pieces of, you know, what might work, like what are, what are things that are, that are getting in the way of your sleep? Are you on your phone before bed? Are you getting on your phone in the middle of the night? Are you turning on the TV when when you wake up in the middle of the night? What can you change to create a better sleep environment for yourself? I mean, I know when I get up to go to the bathroom, I don't even put on my glasses. I am stumbling blind to the bathroom, no lights. I know my way over there do my business stumble back. Sometimes I just keep my eyes closed. Like, you know, I want to, cause I'm a light sleeper. So I know that I need to do very particular things to ensure that I don't just wake up and start thinking about my day, you know, um, even without a phone on, but if you cannot help it, if you cannot help getting on your phone, Taking it out of the room is a great idea. So really like what, what are one or two things that you can do if you are struggling with getting a sleep? Maybe it is getting in bed a little bit earlier at the end of the day. Maybe it is turning off your phone 30 minutes before bed and your TV and all your screens. Maybe it is keeping your phone out of your room. Maybe it is not eating that steak for dinner, but what are, you know, it, when you're starting, it can seem like a lot of things like, okay, I gotta, I gotta not eat heavy food. I got to, get rid of my phone, turn off my TV, all this stuff. It's like, well, let's pare it back. What are one or two things that you
1: can do right now? And I bet you anything, it'll make a difference. Right. And also, yes, definitely, especially with the phone thing. I mean, we're all addicted to our phones and what's happening, What, what are we missing? But the next thing is we spend, even if you don't sleep, a third of your life in bed, none of us spend a third of our financial income on our bed. And I'm a big believer in buying a brand new mattress every five or six years. And if you don't like the mattress you have because it's too hot or too cold or too soft or too hard, be Goldilocks. You find that perfect bed that makes you really happy. And if you're willing to spend $275 on a pair of Nike Vaporflies to run your half marathon. (laughs) You are just really obsessed (laughs) with your Nikes. (laughs) So if you really want to spend that kind of money on shoes, but you don't want to spend two or three K on a bed that you spend a third of your life in, you better think about that, right? Because that's going to affect things more. And I think it's really interesting when people say, gosh, new beds are so expensive. I mean, I had a guy told me that new beds were so expensive in his Audi SUV that he had just driven up in. And I'm like, "Okay, really? Don't talk to me about this because you haven't slept, right?
0: Yeah, we spend money on what we think is valuable and sometimes that can be skewed. We just got we moved uh, six months ago and bought a new bed when we moved. and We had been sleeping on like a busted old (laughs) hand me down mattress for years. And we got ourselves a brand new Tempur-Pedic king size bed, all new bedding. I'll tell you what, I make my bed every day because it makes me feel like I'm going to bed in a hotel bed every night, just that little action. And, uh, I loves the new bed. So yeah, it makes such a difference. Um, I, I totally agree with that. And you know what? Generally, you can finance new beds too. So you can keep those payments low.
1: There you go. There you go. <laughs> so important. yeah,
0: I'm on board. And we really do. We wear those mattresses to like the the rusty
1: old springs. Yep. And like, why do we do that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of like, I don't, you know, and people, we do that with stuff that's really important, right? Like, like our beds. We'll do it with not having the right cookware. I couldn't make that because I don't have the right cookware. I don't know. Go to TJ Maxx. I bought all clad at TJ Maxx the other day, for gosh sake. So, I mean, you know, we can do these things, but we think because they're good enough and they're getting us through the day that we can do it. But priority, sleep is priority, water is priority. Learning how to cook for yourself is a huge priority. It'll make you feel so much better and also create a social environment. You cook with people. I love to cook with people. It's very fun, right? Instead of going out to eat and you have mystery food, right? Very, very careful about what I eat.
0: Yeah, and I, I I love the recurring mention of social and community uh, because I think when people are thinking or you know when they're thinking about getting healthy, it makes sound isolating. It might sound like I'm going to have to eat special and differently from what everybody else is doing. And I can't do fun things because I got to go to bed. Um, Like all these things. And there's an element, there's an element of that to some degree. Like when my friends want me to go out late, I'm like, sorry, got to run the next day. But then I have my other friends are like, cool, I'll run with you. Um, But, but yeah, like, really kind of connecting with that social and community side, because that's a really important part of life. And you, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. And yes, exactly. yeah, absolutely. Well, um, as we begin to wind down our conversation, this has been super fun. I would love to ask, I like, I ask this question a lot. Um, what advice do you have for people who are a little bit older, uh, I know you started your running journey when you were 13, but you are like crushing it at, at 55. But, uh, for those who maybe are inspired by your story, haven't really started anything. Um, what advice would you have for, for people who are a little bit older, who may, may want to run a race or may want to get active? Um, what advice do you have?
1: So, the first thing I always do with a client is say, What have you always wanted to do? And this is, you know, because we're in a private environment, this is where the honesty factor has to happen. We are human beings. I don't know if other species do this, but we are great at lying to ourselves and convincing ourselves of something that is bizarre. But usually I can get someone to be really honest with me when they say, I've always wanted to play basketball, I've always wanted to run a marathon, Um, I've always wanted to do whatever. Be honest with yourself. When you say you've always wanted to do this thing, Okay. And then we have to now unpack why you haven't done that. I feel like I'm too heavy. I don't know how to do it. Um, it hurts, whatever it is. And then we start, I'm a big believer in never letting a client fail ever. So when a client comes to me and says, I really want to run a marathon, but I don't want to run it until it's four and a half hours. All right. We're not going to run for a couple of years. You good with that? Let's do some other things as we build up to that. I just never let people fail. That's my whole thing. You know, and, I, and then I get you to where you want to get to. But first, we figure out what you want to do. And we work toward getting to that because it could be running a race. It could be whatever. It could be learning to play golf. It could be having eye-hand coordination so you can play on your softball team with, you know, your, your um, company, at your company picnic. It could be playing soccer with your grandchild. What is that you want to do that you want to learn? And we learn how to do that.
0: Um, and then, you know, I would love to know, because you've been doing this for so long, Um, I'd love to talk about like the new challenges you face as an aging athlete Uh, performing at the level you perform. Like I like to ask about like, what, what are some new um, challenges or difficulties that you face? And then what are some advantages that you feel you have being an older athlete?
1: Well, I think, you know, the challenges of course are staying healthy enough to train all the time. I run between 40 and 60 miles every week. Um, besides seeing between nine and 11 clients every day, Monday through Friday. So that's a lot of work on this body and I have to really take care of it. So I'm very careful in what I do with it and you not know, getting sleep and hydration and not drinking too much alcohol. I used to be a yay, so I love alcohol, but I can't drink it and function. So all that kind of thing and lowering my stress level, keeping it, keeping it very functional as much as I possibly can. And I'm much better that now that at 55 than I ever was in my 20s. And I also don't have the um, expectations. So, you know, I actually had this asked me last night at a dinner party. Somebody said to me, how do you go out and win all the time on the weekends? And I said, it's very simple. I think I have this one opportunity. Take it. Take it. Go through that pain. Do you want to just not give 190%? I want to give 190% today because I don't know if tomorrow's coming, honestly. And that's really my thought process when I'm closing down on some 20-somethings on a a 10K, I want to give everything I have for this moment because I have this body that can do it. And I know it's not going to be able to do it in a few years. I know that there's no way I'm going to be running a 755 mile in a couple of years. There's just no way. It's just, you know, this has been a, a great talent to have for now. But it comes from a lot of work and it comes from a lot of stretching and a lot of icing and all that kind of stuff that I wouldn't have done in my 20s. And I think it's not so much the awards are fantastic, of course, but it's the gift to be able to do it is shocking to me every day.
0: Yeah. And I love, I love looking at your body and what it can do as a gift. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's so important that, and, and especially in a world where uh, particularly women are raised to hate their bodies to, to, you know, there's a lot of insecurity and self-loathing, but really it's like, I have this one body and look at all the amazing things I can do. And when you switch that perspective, it's a game changer. And so I love that you really lean in like my body can do this today. I don't know if it can do it tomorrow. I don't know if I will have the opportunity tomorrow. So let's really go all in on this today and make this the best possible experience today. So I love that. I love that. That's so cool. Um, All right. So uh, where can people
1: find, and purchase your book. It's Your Body. It's Your Body. Move It, Love It, Live is available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and BookNook and all those kinds of places. You can also go to fitness-23.com and you can buy a paperback or a hardback that I will um, sign for you and put your name on and all that kind of fun stuff and ship it out. It's just the same price as there's on Amazon or anything else. So that's fitness-23.com. twenty And um, I just really hope that people enjoy it and get inspired to do what they want to in their lives and not feel like they're stuck. Yes. And how can people learn more about you and what you do and maybe work with you? Yeah. So fitness-23.com will get you to train with V. V Trainwithv.com is my personal training website. I also have a nonprofit called Exercise in the Streets, which we give running shoes and running clothes and toiletries and a bag to foster kids in Santa Clara County. Every foster kid in Santa Clara County has one of these, and it's really amazing. And I've met some great kids. We've got into some private high schools now because they were pretty good runners, which is really amazing. We used to go into juvenile hall and to do running clinics. And um, of course, in COVID, we had to stop, but I was able to go back myself. Usually, I take some teenagers I work with to have them co with me. That still can't happen, but I can still go in. I went in a couple of weeks ago. It was really great for me to go back into juvenile hall. I feel as an athlete and as a person, I need to give back what's been given to me by other people. So my nonprofit is how we do that. And so exerciseinthestreets.com is just, it's huge. Um, We've given, I think, close to 4,000 bags out now. It has been tremendous um, on how much we've been able to do and how many lives we've been able to touch. And even if that kid never runs, it's just amazing to be able to give them something that maybe will put a spark in their brain.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, that spark, that bit of hope and to feel taken care of. That's, that's amazing. And, um, and I'm a, a, just on a personal, I'm a former Bay area kid. So oh. raised in San Jose. So yeah, I love you that go. you're, you're taking, taking care of people in my former yes. hometown. So. And that's I think
1: awesome. that people, when you think about this area, as you know, people think about wealth in this mm-hmm. area.
0: Oh yeah, and, absolutely.
1: And you know, we're giving 50 to 60 bags every month to new foster kids. And the average foster kid is not that six-year-old child. The actual, actual foster kids are 14 and 15-year-old boys. And I think the most tragic thing is these boys feel lost. They're lost and nobody cares. And you give them a fancy new pair of shoes and a sweatshirt that fits, all of a sudden, that's a little happiness there, right? Yeah. Just for that moment, right? That's mm-hmm. great. That's that's awesome. I love that.
0: Uh, well, Vanessa, before we go, I'm going to end with one question that I ask everybody it may put you on the spot or you may be ready for it. I don't know. <laughs> but if, uh, if you could share
1: one parting piece of wisdom with our listeners, what would that be? One parting piece of wisdom. Do not stop learning. I think learning is the most important thing in life. And that's what I, what I keep going forward. There's so many things I want to learn and do. And if you keep that mentality, then I think you can be happy. And that's yeah. what we're all really striving to do is to be happy in life. Yeah.
0: And the brain is a muscle just like anything else. So you got to, you got to strengthen it. And so if you want to learn to throw a javelin, you go find someone to teach you. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> if, if we take nothing else from this conversation, <laughs> I think it's that go find someone. If you want to learn, go, how to do to thing, it. go find that's someone fine. to teach you. It's fine. Exactly. Awesome. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on to the seasoned athlete podcast, sharing your knowledge, sharing your wisdom, sharing your inspiration. I love your story and, uh, go out and if you're listening, go out and get her book. It's your body. Um, and, uh, go, go pursue what lights you up as well. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for
1: being on seasoned athlete. Thanks. Have a nice day
0: seasoned athletes if you've fallen out of your fitness routine and the idea of jumping back in feels as daunting as putting together a work presentation the night before you have to present it i have a fun freebie for you introducing the off the couch starter pack Inside this free download, you'll find six days of strategically programmed workouts and recovery sessions for any fitness level, all designed to get you up, get you moving, and get you excited about working out again. I paired every workout and recovery session with its own hand-curated Spotify playlist to ensure that you're moving with joy every step of the way. Because that, my friend, is how you get fired up to get back into fitness again. So if you're looking for a way to open that door that's been closed for far too long and to do it in a way that's simple, effective, and fun, download my free off-the-couch starter pack now through the link in the show notes or at robinleggett.com slash
1: bycouch.